I want to welcome you here. So glad that you're here. My name is Jacob Armstrong. If we haven't had a chance uh, to meet, it really is an encouragement to see all of you here um, together in this place to worship God. I also want to invite uh, and say welcome to those who are with us online right now. We know we have a big group of folks that are joining us live and folks will be watching this later. So thank you for joining us. I want to jump right in um, and read to you a scripture from Exodus chapter 4. It's when God has called Moses and Moses says to God, but what if they won't believe me or listen to me? He says, God, what if they say to me, the Lord never really appeared to you? And then the Lord asked Moses, what is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? My first job uh, as a teenager was at a place called Gar's Rental and Feed, which is, uh, was an establishment here in Mount Juliet that's no longer with us. I think it's like a, a gym now. But when I was a kid, it was probably the best place that a teenager in Mount Juliet could work. And as the name sounds, it was a place that rented equipment like farming equipment and yard work equipment. And it was a feed store. Actually, back you know, then in Mount Juliet, there was enough people that would come uh, right here in our town to buy feed for their animals, their livestock, and their, uh, you know, just their pets. And so my job at GARS uh, was very simple. It was just one thing. My job was to carry sacks of feed to people's trucks. That was it. Uh, and I could put like two sacks on my shoulder. And if it was more than that, I had this dolly. I could stack them up and I would take them out to the truck. So that was, that was my training. That was my job. And, and if I wasn't doing that, Roy Gar, who was the owner of Gar's Journal and Feed, he said, Jacob, if you're not carrying sacks of feed, I want you to be sweeping the floor. And you got to understand, Gar's had this huge concrete, it's just this huge concrete slab. And it was a feed store. So there was just stuff always all over the floor, little pieces of grain, corn. And, and so I, he hands me a broom and I, I start sweeping. I start wondering, well, where am I supposed to be sweeping this into? It seemed like an endless job. And so I went back to him and I was like, Roy, I don't have a dustpan or nothing. You know, like where, what am I supposed to be sweeping this up to? And he said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, I'm not worried about you sweeping it up. I just want you sweeping. <laughs> and so I would sweep all the time. And I started to resent the sweeping. I started to resent it because I thought this is meaningless. I don't, there's no purpose to the sweeping. There's no end to the sweeping. Why am I always sweeping? But if I wasn't carrying sacks of feed, I was sweeping the floor. And there was all these other great things happening at GARS. You have to understand that all these other guys had jobs to do. There were guys outside that were moving hay and, and straw around. There were guys that drove forklifts. There was guys that worked on small engines. There was animals, you know, that you could buy there. And there were people that took care of the animals. There were these guys that just always seemed to be leaning on the counters at the cash registers where the girls worked. I don't know what their jobs were, but they got to do that. And I was the only guy that was sweeping up gars and sweeping, sweeping, sweeping nothing into nowhere. Well, after I'd been there a little while, I got some other jobs. Just a little while in, he taught me how to be one of the guys that would get up on this big stack of straw or hay and we'd throw it into trucks, but that didn't happen very often. So if I wasn't throwing straw, I would be carrying sacks of feed. And if I wasn't carrying sacks of feed, there I was sweeping. Not long after that, though, I got another job on Saturdays. We had this thing at gars called the dog dip. And what happened at the dog dip is we would fill up these big horse troughs with this toxic concoction of stuff that would kill fleas 
and ticks. And everybody, it was a small town, everybody in town would come to Gars on Saturday with their dogs. It was awesome. And I was a dog dip guy, so I got to see people hang out. I wore these big rubber gloves, and you put the dogs in there, and you could just see, like, fleas flying off of them. And it was like, I mean, it's just like fuming. I'm sure it's why I have all the health problems I have now today is I was a, I was a dog dip guy, but I loved that. But it was only on Saturday. So if it wasn't Saturday, maybe I was throwing some bales of straw. And if I wasn't doing that, I was carrying sacks of feed. And if I wasn't carrying sacks of feed, I had to be sweeping after I was there about three or four months, so I got a really important job. And we also at guards would fill up propane tanks. And so I got trained to be the guy, I called it propane man. And I got to be the guy who would, who would fill up propane tanks. We didn't exchange propane tanks. You brought your tank to me and I, 16 year old sophomore at Mount Juliet High School would transfer pressurized gas from under the ground. <laughs> through a system of weights and levers, and I would fill up your tank and send you home to have a great grilling experience. And I loved that job, but it didn't happen very often. And so if I wasn't filling propane tanks, and it wasn't Saturday and I was dipping dogs, and I wasn't throwing bales of straw, and I wasn't carrying sacks of feed, I was sweeping. And here's what I found. Even after I had got promoted to a job where I didn't do even some of those things underneath, they hired other guys who would carry sacks of feed, even when I got to the place where I could, if I wanted to, stand at the cash register and talk to the girls, well, maybe I did that some, but I didn't do that a lot. <laughs> when I got to that place, here's what I found. I went back to the broom, even when I didn't have to. That something had been sort of just put in me that I should be sweeping. And I know now, as a grown-up, that Roy Gar was not just interested in running his business but in teaching and growing up young men and women of this community. And what I found is that there's some things that are taught to you when you're doing the jobs that seem meaningless and worthless and unseen that will instill in you and form you and shape you and place you into the places when you're really doing important stuff. There's stuff that you learn in the sweeping that stays with you. You see what I'm saying? We've been talking about that everything in the, the world belongs to God. There's a scripture that says, uh, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And everything means everything. <laughs> what I mean by that is, yes, your main, your important moments, your famous moments, the moments when you're noticed, those, those belong to God. But so do also those moments when no one else sees you. When you're doing what you have been tasked to do and you're being faithful with it and nobody knows and nobody sees. I look out and I see mothers in the room. I see teachers. I see grandparents. I see folks caring for your parents. I see folks who are doing unseen what might sometimes feel like it lacks purpose work or at least it can be mundane. And what we understand is even that belongs to God. God has a big habit of using the humble unseen things to form us and shape us for the moments when we'll be used in our greatest moments. You may have heard some of the stories in the life of Moses. One of the famous stories starts in his very beginning when his mom puts him in a basket and places him in the Nile River because the evil Pharaoh is killing the baby boys of the slave people. And Moses is pulled out of the water by a daughter of the Pharaoh, a princess. He's pulled out of the water. It's actually what Moses' name means. It means to be pulled out of the water and he's saved. 
And it's a very famous moment in the life of Moses. He then grows up as a prince of Egypt. He was a slave boy, but now he's a prince. Maybe you saw the movie. It was so famous, the prince of Egypt. And Moses gets to do all the things that royalty gets to do. However, when he grows up, he sees one day an Egyptian taskmaster beating one of the slaves, knowing that those are his people, and filled with, with rage and anger, he kills an Egyptian taskmaster, hides his body, thinking he'll get away with it, but he doesn't. And he becomes a murderer, fugitive on the run. It's another famous story of Moses that that happened. And he ends up in this place on the far side of the wilderness in the Sinai Peninsula, way far away from where he would have come from, way far away of anyone knowing he was a prince. And he becomes a shepherd of his new father-in-law, Jethro, on the far side of the wilderness. That's when you know your life has gotten bad. You're working for your father-in-law. Mine's not here, I don't think. You're working for your father-in-law. And his name is Jethro, right? This is not the great moment of his life. But while Moses is out there, one of the most famous things happens to Moses. There's a bush that's burning, but it won't burn up. And when he goes to get closer to it, God speaks to him out of the bush in the wilderness and says, Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And God calls Moses, that guy who'd been in the water, who'd been the prince, who'd run away, to be the one to go back to Egypt and release God's people, the slaves, and take them to the promised land. A very famous moment. And then all these famous things happen in, in Moses' life. The 10 plagues happen when he goes back to set the people free. Very soon after that, the, the people cross the Red Sea. Moses is there raising up his hands and his staff as the people are rescued. They go out into this wilderness and uh, there's bread on the ground. And Moses takes his staff and puts uh, it in a rock for there to be water when they had no water. It's just like famous story after famous story. The Ten Commandments. There's this other famous story where Moses is there in a battle, the Israelites versus the Amalekites. And as long as Moses holds up his arms and these other guys hold up his arms, they win the battle. It's just like this guy has so many famous moments, so many great moments. But what I want to tell you about today is a story that you probably haven't heard much about, if at all, in the middle of that, at a place when Moses was trying to tell God that, in fact, God had chosen the wrong person to be the one to go and do that. It's in one of Moses' most humble moments, forgotten moments, that he actually protests with God and says, God, you have got the wrong guy. Why did Moses think that? Because he's a shepherd tending his father-in-law's flocks way far away from a place where he's a convicted murderer. And God says, I'm going to use you. And Moses says, I can't talk. I have a speech impediment. He says, I'm going to use you. I'll, help, I'll have someone there that will help you talk. He says, he says, God, I don't even really know who you are. What's your name? He gives all these reasons. And then there's this verse. I read it to you a moment ago. It says, Moses protested again and said, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? What Moses was saying was like, I can't go back there where I'm a wanted murderer and just start talking about a God. How are they going to believe me? What power are you going to give me? What evidence do I have that could, that could help me get through this? And this is God's response. It's really crazy. God says, what is that in your hand? He says, take a look at what you're holding in your hand right now. Take a look at the thing you already have. What I want you to hear this morning is that the thing that God will use the most in your life is the thing that you already have, have already gone through, or that are actually suffering and struggling through right now. Here's Moses' response. He says, the Lord says, what is that in your hand? And he says, a shepherd's staff. He's holding the evidence that his job is working for his father-in-law alone. The staff is what he would hold in those nights when he was lonely, those nights when he was questioning his existence. <laughs> Moses is saying his, uh, his staff is his broom, right? His staff is his broom. This thing that he thought, what purpose could this hold in my life? I was a prince, and now I'm holding this staff. 
We've been talking here at Providence about how God can use our lives. But the, the thing that God uses the most is the thing that you already have. So sometimes we're wondering, like, maybe I'll be able to give more time to God when I have more time. I just feel like I'm out of time. But if you feel like you're going give to time, give time when you get more time, you'll never give the time. Or, or you think, I, I like this idea of giving my resources and being generous, but I don't have that money, much money. Maybe when I have more money, I'll be able to give more money to God, but you'll never do it then. Or we think maybe when I get the training, maybe when I've got my act together, maybe when I get to this level of being a Christian and we're waiting around and God is saying to Moses, he says, I'm gonna use you and the thing that I'm gonna use is what you already have in your hand. That God is not waiting for people to get it all perfect, all their act together, have all their bank accounts stored up and have all the time in the world. He wants to use you now with the thing that you have already gone through, with the thing that you're holding. And so the question for us today is, what is it in your hand? It's a crazy way that God wraps up the burning bush story by saying to Moses, and take your shepherd's staff with you. This is how, it, this is how he sends Moses out to his commission. Take the staff and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. What he's saying to Moses is, I am going to use your struggle and your story and your stuff for my glory. I really think that's what the, what the staff uh, represents, those things. So think with me about your struggle. We don't often think about our struggle as being the thing that God uses, but that's actually the place where God's power can be most magnified in your life. And I know, that, I know that stinks like the thing that you're going through or I'm going through, it just feels like a struggle. It feels like a pain, it feels like a weight, but it's actually the place where God's power can be most magnified. God's power will not be most magnified in your greatness, but actually in your weakness. I have a little prayer that I pray every time before I come up here to preach. It's from a New Testament scripture where the words of Jesus, uh, are, we hear Jesus say, my grace, is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And that's why Paul responds to that word from, from Jesus by saying, therefore, I would most gladly boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When you begin, come to a place in your life when you can boast about your struggles, you'll begin to see God's power expanded. Your struggle actually becomes your story. And that's what happened for Moses. The reason we know all these stories about Moses is because he told them. It's because he shared them. Moses began to see all those little pieces of his life, even the sweeping moments, as a part of his story that could be shared and used by God. It's a real breakthrough in any of our lives when we begin to understand that all the things we've gone through, the whole story can be used by God. Some of us are wanting to hide our story and hide pieces of our story uh, from, from people. Maybe there's shame, maybe there's guilt around those things, but a moment comes when our story becomes a testimony that we can tell, that's when God can begin to use us. And also I think that staff represented Moses' stuff, right? He was a shepherd and probably all that he had was that staff. That was his stuff. And God says, I'm gonna take the staff. God could have used anything. He could have just done the miracles, but he uses the staff in Moses' story as a reminder of the thing that he's gone through. And that's what he's gonna do in your life. There will be things that happen where God will begin to use that thing to make his power magnified in your life. Uh, it's really crazy. The next sort of scene in that story of Moses is he's standing before the Pharaoh and they need some evidence that their God is really who they say it is. And they throw down, he's there with his brother Aaron, they throw down a staff 
and the staff turns into a snake. It's a crazy little uh, you know, parlor trick that happens in that moment. But what it's showing is the power of God, the power that God can do something. And Moses knows that's my staff from the wilderness. Maybe the, almost the very next kind of scene, they're at the Red Sea, right? And they're standing there and there's this Egyptian army bearing down on the escaped slaves, the escaped people of God. And they say to Moses, why'd you bring us out here to die? Didn't, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? And you know what Moses does? Raises the staff. And as he raises his hand, the sea splits. But Moses there is looking at that staff, remembering what God said to him at the burning bush and remembering that he held that in his wilderness. Then they go out in the wilderness. There's a story where they don't have water. And Moses puts the staff in a rock and water comes out of the rock. God is using this staff. And then I mentioned to you that story towards the end of Moses' story where he is there fighting a battle and Moses raises his arms. He raises the staff. All throughout the story is the symbol the sign of how God can use what has happened in his life. So your struggles become places for God's power to be seen. As Christians, we're not supposed to be covering those things up or acting like we have our act together. It's actually in our weaknesses that God's power is magnified. By being vulnerable, by being open, by being honest, that God can actually use us. And your story becomes a testimony to what God has done. Your story changes from just sort of being the story of your life to being a story of how God has moved and God has changed and God has done something. And your stuff becomes the way that others are provided for. When we as the church bring our stuff, what we have, what's in our hands, that's how more and more people are provided for. So I wanted to ask you today, what is it that is in your hand? What are you holding right now? You may not have thought it of your occupation or your position as a mom or dad or this thing that you're going through, the thing that you're holding in your hand is actually the thing that God wants to use. 14 years ago, uh, I came back inside after working all day in this little barn that we had and I was down on the floor wrestling with my girls. They were tiny at the time. We were just kind of having fun. And I looked down, actually one of them pointed out and my arm had swollen and it was like purple. Like to the point of like, we're going to the hospital kind of thing. And so I went to the hospital and through a lot of tests and actually some weeks of trying to figure it out, they determined that the main vein in my right arm was blocked. It's a, it's a condition called thoracic outlet obstruction, which means the main thoracic vein in my right arm was blocked. And so I had to go on blood thinners. My wife was giving me shots in my stomach every night. It was a difficult time. And they determined after some amount of time that it was a permanent blockage. And so I would have this condition for the rest of my life. And I remember sitting on this uh, sort of metal um, examination table in the office of a vascular surgeon at Vanderbilt. I'm 29 years old. And he's telling me like, yeah, it's a permanent thing. He was telling me all these things that go with it, this, you know, condition that I have. And I just asked him, I was like, I was like, so what can I do? Like, what can I do to make this better? And he, he thought about it and he said, one thing that helps with this condition is uh, periodic extremity elevation. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> and he just says, if from time to time you will lift your extremity, um, this will help you a lot. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah, so what a vein does is it takes blood back to your heart. He said, your main vein, which really was taking care of your arm, is not working. And so all of your problems are due to having too much blood in your arm. But when you lift your arm, the blood will go from your hand and go back down. And I said, 
you're serious. This is my best option? And he was like, yeah, I think that's really going to help you a lot. And so you may see me some Sundays on the front row with my arm up like this. And you may think, I've come, we come to a Pentecostal church? <laughs> and the answer is no. I'm simply just trying to get the blood out of my arm back down out of here, okay? And, of course, I'm only halfway joking because I am doing that. But every time I do it, it's a sign and a symbol to me of something that's broken, of something that really disappointed me, of something that changed some of the path that I would be on and that God can use and help. What's in your hand? And every time I raise up my hand, I think, I'm a human. Everything in my life belongs to God, even my struggles, even my disappointments. And so for me, it's a sign of submission to God every time I do it. A reminder, not outside of what I've gone through, but of what God has brought me through and will continue to bring me through. And so I ask you today to think about what is it that is in your hand? What signs and symbols do you have that maybe have grown to be something that annoys you, that makes you bitter, that brings you down, that reminds you of your shame, that reminds you of your guilt? And would you allow what is in your hand to be something that God could take under his power and actually magnify his power in your pain? We don't have a God who's outside of our struggles. We have a God who's coming into our deepest struggles and our deepest pain. Moses thought his life was over on the far side of the wilderness, tending the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro. And God went and met him there. The burning bush, the holy ground, was in the place where Moses had ran away. Not in a temple, not in a sanctuary, but the very presence, the very fire, the very power of God came to him and said, I'm gonna use you. And Moses said, I can't be used. I can't talk good. I don't really know who you are. I've got a big line of messes in my life. How are you going to prove that, God? What are you going to use? And God says, what's in your hand? And Moses is like, my broom? And God says, I'm going to use that. Every step of your journey, you're going to be holding that in your hand. Consider what it is you've gone through and are going through. And consider, would you be willing to offer that to God for his power and for his glory. Let us pray. God, thank you for this question that you asked Moses that we can hear in our hearts today. What is it that is in your hand? As we think about what we've gone through, what we're going through, we find hope and power believing that you can use even that and use even us. Would you use us as a church, God, as we bring our stories and our struggles and our stuff all together? Would you use it for uh, the greatness of your name being spread through this land? As we come to the table, uh, we receive bread and juice. It's a sign of Christ's weakness, Christ's suffering on the cross, Christ's brokenness, where your power was most magnified. So help us as we take communion today to receive Jesus, 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 Jesus. Amen.